Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Now we're taking a shot up in the tailgate yep. lot yep. with a stadium view. Woo! What a great spot. Damn it, I've been waiting all week. Counting down the days till I'm back in my seat. Till I'm back in my seat. Back on the boulevard Thursday, April 13th. As always, here to prove to you there is no such thing as football season. One month till we crown the D.C. Defenders, the XFL champions, and I can cash my plus 650 ticket that I took in the preseason. Criminal that I got it at that price, by the way. It was like the sixth or seventh best odds on the board. And DraftKings offering me that cash out. I won't take it. We're keeping this till May 13th. I'm clutching this ticket. I got diamond hands on it, and I cannot wait. One more month of the XFL season. That's 32 of 43 games down. And this uh, throwback jersey that's behind me from 2020, you may get new ones. XFL hinting at potentially releasing jerseys on XFL Shop. And listen, I'm a sucker for a fresh jersey. Uh, That white camo that DC puts on their threads, I would love to snatch one up, put it here on the Spring Ball Boulevard set, even though it'll probably cost us $169.99 from what I've been hearing. Uh, I'm going to get Zook's opinion here on who he's going with for the jersey. The producer, director, and owner of the humble abode we call Studio Z, Chris Zook. Who's on your short list for Seattle jerseys? I know you've got all kind of collector's merch already as you've been accumulating it throughout the season. Um, We we each got to get a jersey. Are you going with the... Orange or the white? Orange for sure. And and who are you going with? Peasy. Maybe a little Lindsay on top. I don't know. We'll see. I would love to see you rock zero. Not just not just for Flash Gordon, but for the amount of times you beat DC this year. I mm-hmm. think that'd be a fitting mm-hmm. number for Chris Zook. Going back to how you opened up the show, you should probably cash out now because DC is not winning a title. They're giving it to me at, I think, four to one. Yeah, it's pretty I'm, good right I'm now. I'm sure your cash out now is what it. I think current odds are. It's better than making nothing. Yeah, they DC ain't to, for DC to win the title right now, I think it's about minus 110. Who are you going with? Who's your jersey? I already got a number one for DeAndre Tompkins. I got to go Derek King. I got to go number three. Wow. He's been my guy this year. I put him on the set. Uh, you know, we'll see. I think they're going to customize the jersey. So you can put your own name on it. Maybe get a. I would like that Studio Z jersey or a Zook jersey or something like that. Yeah, I, I know mean, Mikey's going to be all over the the number two Manzel look for for that that black and red Vipers, but it's exciting. We've waited a long time for jerseys. We want to see them for sale at games. We want to see them for sale on the shop. I think XFL 2020 we got it a lot earlier than this, um, and the customizable ones were expensive. But listen. When it comes to jerseys, don't complain about the price because you know you're going to buy one, and that's exactly why the XFL is going to jack the price up because of supply and demand. (laughs) They're going to be in high demand. Anyway, on tonight's show, we have two interesting cross-divisional matchups that are leading us into the game of the week. Seattle visiting St. Louis with playoff hopes on the line. This is everybody's easy choice for game of the week. Mike Mitchell delivered us TV ratings from week eight. Battlehawks Vipers from Saturday pulled 870,000. Not bad for ESPN. Well on track, I think, for a seven-figure number in week nine for this standalone sequel between Seattle and St. Louis. Listen, people are wired to watch pro football on a Sunday afternoon. And 
the Saturday game pulling in 870,000 is very encouraging for me. I know a lot of you pro football fans don't bother with the college game. Couldn't be me. I love college football, but some of you may only watch football on Sundays. So this is a big Sunday for the league to come through. We're going to break all the games down for you, including the game of the week. And remember, uh, the March Madness Masters gauntlet that the XFL just went through is now over. So you think about your competition now. What is the XFL up against? NBA playoffs. Don't have to tell you that's a waste of your time completely. Just not worth watching. I think uh, 80% of the league has made the playoffs. So what's even the point with that? You also have uh, the summer league starting up again. And just save yourself the confusion when uh, the Philadelphia team is playing a home game in Ohio. Just watch the XFL and watch the St. Louis Battlehawks potentially get 45000 in that stadium this weekend. Um, we got another Boulevard Bull Tour stop to unveil, and it's going to be really tough to top last weekend. It was our fifth stop in St. Louis. We saw our first XFL overtime, something I'll never forget. We'll tell you where we're headed. And, of course, it wouldn't be Spring Ball Boulevard without our Week 9 best bets. Can't believe I'm saying this, guys. I'm staying away. From most of the sides this week, I I told you earlier in the season, I'm away from the totals. I'm kind of reversing course. I may have added a total to my card this time around because those sides outside of D.C. have not been very kind to me. So we'll, we'll, we'll tap into the totals and see what we can get for you here. Make sure you drop a like on the video if you're live with us on this Thursday night. Subscribe to the channel. Not too many episodes left which means not too many chances for you to get an entry in our PlayStation 5 Pick'em. Yes, we are still giving away a Sony PlayStation 5 before the XFL Championship game. If you go 4 for 4 in Week 9 or 10, so only one of two chances left to do it, you have an entry to a PS5 Pick'em that is now about 50 or 55 strong It keeps going up. A lot of people with more than one entry that have been following us along since show one and week one. Um, But you know how it works with those lottery balls. I don't know how we're going to draw it yet. I think we should do instead of just picking one out of the hat. We should just get like a lottery machine, Zook, and pop a ball out of there and and, and put maybe uh, somebody's face on it. If you can all send us a headshot, we'll put your face on a lottery ball and draw that way. But We'll have a fair way to draw that. Just make sure you get your entries in. The most important part, it's free. We don't charge you a dime to watch Spring Ball Boulevard. We don't put our content behind a paywall, and we certainly don't charge you to play in our content. So this is good value here. A lot of these sweepstakes that you'll enter, you're up against a million people. This one, like I said, half a hundred entries. Really good shot. I like your odds to win a PS5 if you go four for four. So jump in that. We also have Orlando quarterback Quinton Dormady coming up on Spring Ball Series. This was a great conversation. Quinton has faced a ton of adversity in his life on and off the field, and we sat down and chatted with him. We will show you that coming up here soon. But let's take a look at the XFL standings update. Not much has changed here from a one through four perspective in the North for a while now, ever since St. Louis has had that tiebreaker over Seattle kind of gone this way. DC at one, St. Louis two, Seattle three, and Vegas at four. In the South, Houston has been on top pretty much the entire season. Arlington is chasing. They are now one game out of the South lead, but they don't have the tiebreaker, so some work to do there. 
apparently San Antonio is still alive. Uh, they've been marketing to their fans to please come out because we're still alive in the playoffs. Not exactly sure how that works. I guess it's because they beat Arlington once. And technically, Arlington could finish the season four and six. San Antonio could finish four and six. But the Brahmas are going to have to win their last two home games for that to happen. So interesting scenario there. I guess Arlington could end up four and six. They're going to be underdogs in D.C. this weekend and then in Houston week 10. So sucks, but the good chance a four and six team could end up making the playoffs, which is just going to be a dagger through Chris Zook's heart. If Seattle finishes seven and three and misses the playoffs for a four and six team, I really hope for everybody's sake <laughs> that doesn't happen. So there's your standings. Let's get into some games here. Guys, what do we, uh, what do we make of the Houston Roughnecks? One side of the fence, we find a team that is likely going to be in the XFL championship game representing the South Division. One of the brightest young minds in the league running this offense, littered with weapons all over the skill positions. They have a knack for great defense, leading the league in both sacks and picks. So no wonder they're a six and a half point home favorite Saturday, right? Hosting two and six Vegas. Well, how about the other side of the fence? Consider this for a moment. Let's take off those rose-colored roughnecks glasses that some of us have been wearing. We see a team who was scoring 30 and a half points, average their first four games of the season, has crashed like Bitcoin. Now 18 points per game, the last four out. So have the Houston roughnecks peaked early. We talk about this all the time with championship teams in every level. You have to peak at the right time. Did Houston hit their peak early? Or did they just need to win ugly and get their mojo back, right, to prepare for this stretch run? Remember, this was the unofficial 2020 champion, so there's something to play for here for Houston to defend the title. Back in XFL 2020, all of us who followed the league three years ago, someone had to win it. You can't just say, oh, the season's over. No, the Houston Roughnecks were 5-0. and This is their chance to defend a title. And now at 5-3, and three, a chance to win this week and amass their win total from 2020. Let's take a look at how A.J. Smith and that air raid offense matches up with Vegas this weekend. First of all, if you're A.J., you're certainly not happy with averaging 126 pass yards per game in your last two. The good news for them, that was against the top two pass defenses in the league. So... It's a little bit of an excuse. The numbers weren't there, obviously, but at least you have that going for them. Now you draw Vegas. They are seventh in pass defense. They give up 220 through the air per game. A.J. McCarron, Ben DiNucci, both had field days against this Vegas Viper secondary. Will Brandon Silvers or will Cole McDonald come in? Interesting decision for A.J. Smith this week. For whoever starts that quarterback, they have a little bit of an advantage here. Um, protecting Silvers might not be so easy. Haven't been too impressed with the Houston offensive line as of late. And when you got guys like PETA, who has seven and a half sacks for the Vipers, and Max Roberts, who's been tearing it up, and obviously Vic Beasley is a problem, you got some guys who can rush the passer for the Vegas Vipers. So they're going to have, we said it time and time again, Brandon Silvers is not great at escaping the pocket. Not the best mobility. So you better believe Chris Dishman and Rod Woodson are going to dial up those blitzes. We saw C.J. Avery. He's another guy who had probably the hit of the season 
on Darius Shepard. I was there in attendance for that St. Louis Vegas game, and it just sucked the life out of the building. Like when you think of a collective sigh, CJ Avery absolutely crushed Shepard. Good thing he was okay, but what a hit it was. Some hard hitters here for Vegas. And I know the last two weeks, um, their secondary has faced St. Louis without A.J. McCarron and San Antonio, who's not anywhere competent in the pass game. But for Vegas, they've looked a little bit better. And naturally, I'm sure Rod Woodson's happy about that because he is a Hall of Fame cornerback. So your DB's got to be good. Marwin Evans, Mo Smith, both got themselves in the box score with interceptions. Deontay Anderson made a really acrobatic play, a nice pick against San Antonio a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, this secondary, how much can you really trust them? I don't know. It depends what Houston you're going to get, what kind of offense you're going to see. And I didn't think we saw enough of Houston's run game. They just simply evaporated in the run game against the San Antonio Brahmas, only 13 carries combined. And I thought Max Borgie was coming off a solid game. I think he had like nine carries for 52 yards against St. Louis. He was well over five yards per carry, but they didn't feed him against the Brahmas. They, they have to. He's a very talented player. Uh, but this all comes back to Brandon Silvers offensively, and he's probably going to get the start, have to make better decisions, and he can't do that unless he's first protected. So Houston offense, slight edge here, not as big as you think. Let's flip sides of the ball. Look at the Vegas offense this week. Definitely a statistical outlier in the Vegas offensive scheme. 208 rushing yards against St. Louis. Where did that come from? This was not a team that was running the ball efficiently all season. And the first time out against St. Louis, they managed only 43 yards on the ground. So this was a considerable improvement for um, that offense and Ray Sherman. Jalen McClendon opens up the offense in more ways than one. Him using his legs and his arm has been very beneficial for this offense. But how about the legs? He led them with 62 yards rushing last week, had a couple of massive third down conversions uh, where the pocket broke down. The last two weeks, you had Jack Cohn and A.J. McCarron that you went against with Houston. But a combined nine sacks those last two games, Trent Harris for Houston has just been eating up. So are they going to be able to get to McClendon here? They've been missing Tim Ward the last three games, and that's been a little bit of a struggle. But Trent Harris has been filling in when Ward is out. Ward has been filling in earlier in the season when Harris went down with an injury. So some injury notes. Jeff Bidette back in practice listed as limited with that thigh injury that sidelined him the last, I guess you could say, game and a half. So that will be big for Vegas. I'm taking Houston to win here. It was a tough one. I went back and forth a little. I'm just not sure that Vegas has quite enough to be able to pull an upset here. I think they're at a low point in their season. But you could also view that as kind of back against the wall, a little bit of wounded animal mode. And, you know, it is true that players in this league may not be as concerned about their record as they are at other levels because they're just here to simply ball out. And they're just here to put stuff on film. Look at Houston. They haven't been great for us, especially if you're backing them. 4-4 four and four against the spread. I actually started out 4-0. and oh. 
So that's four straight they've dropped against the spread. They are three and five to the over. That is crazy to me. This is a team that came out, scored, what, 33, 44. They, they were balling offensively. And just three and five to the over. They are three and one against the spread at home. Again, take from it what you will. I'm going Houston to win, but I am taking Vegas to cover. Um, not a best bet, but I think this is a 20 to 18 type of game. So I also lean the under. Keep an eye on the weather in Houston. I did see a chance of thunderstorms in the forecast. Again, I don't know what really to make of that. It's tough to bet games just based on weather, but if you already like the under, that might be a point of emphasis for you to have on your side. I'm going Houston to win. Like I said, Vegas to cover. Zook, are you on board with the Roughnecks? They've let us down a little bit the last couple weeks. I am on board with the Roughnecks. I you think was, Vegas covers? It's so tough that I would not bet it. No way. It is a, a tough number. I actually thought this number would come out at about three or four and gain some steam on Houston throughout the week, but just not the case. It's kind of stuck at six and a half. Again, total is 43 and a half. You have two teams that like to throw the ball around a lot but are not great to the over. Mikey is all over the money line. I think we we had it at plus 210. Pretty good value for a little sprinkle. I think if there was an upset this year outside of Orlando, D.C. that you were looking at, this is the time. I'm way more confident in Vegas to pull this off than I was with San Antonio to beat Houston. So we'll see. That game's going to be interesting. 11.30 a.m. local kickoff. And we get it on ABC. So finally, a game on ABC that doesn't involve the San Antonio Brahmas. Thank you, XFL schedule makers, for, for doing that for us. Well, Zook, this is how you know we're dedicated on Spring Ball Boulevard. We got a full preview for you of the Paxton Lynch Bowl. And if you don't know, here's a quick synopsis. Paxton Lynch wins the Orlando job over Quentin Dormady in training camp. We're going to talk to Dormady here coming up next. They both played in the week one loss, uh, but Dormady was then accused of selling the playbook. So he was not with the team weeks two through four, two through five. That was a waste of pretty much the entire half the season for the Guardians as they tried to investigate this. Pax and Lynch continue to get smoked behind a Swiss cheese offensive line. Three weeks later, Quentin Dormady is cleared. Lynch gets benched and traded to San Antonio. So that's why this is the Pax and Lynch Bowl. Will he start? We'll see. Jack Cohen hurt his ankle. Reed Sinet broke his foot. Kurt Banker cracked his ribs. So maybe it would only be right for the Brahmas to start Paxton Lynch here and give their fifth quarterback of the season a try. Why not? What do you got to lose? We saw what happened when players traded in the season. Uh, go to their old teams. See what happens? TJ Stormont traded from Orlando or traded from DC to Orlando. Ends up beating DC. Maybe that's the effect that they, they need for Paxton Lynch. So let's look at the San Antonio offense. Realistically, like I said, three quarterback options going into this week. Jack Cohn really battled last week. Have to give him that. Jawan Pass technically 1-0 as a starting quarterback, although they didn't score an offensive touchdown against Arlington in the game he won. Paxton Lynch hasn't won a game as a starting quarterback all season. In fact, <laughs> I mentioned... Orlando probably would have topped Vegas back in week five if they rolled with Dormady. They put him in the second quarter. 
If they started him, I bet they win that game. Um, it could get interesting if we see Dormady versus Lynch. Make a, you kind of put a silver lining on a game that's not very exciting. Um, actually, Paxton, back in his old college number, 12. Does that get him his swagger back if he ends up starting? The run game was better last week for San Antonio. We talked about the 20 yards they mustered against Vegas in week seven. Much better this time around. They improved almost 130 on the ground versus Houston. A lot of that was Jacquez Patrick eating up. He had 16 carries, 96 yards, and a score. By far his best effort all season. Thought he ran really hard. And he was effective in the pass game as well. Landon Akers, five catches, 62 yards for the Brahmas. They ran 72 plays on Sunday, which was 21 more than Houston ran, and probably their high on the season. Um, statistically, They've done way worse than the game they put together against Houston. It's one of their better efforts, especially in week five, six, and seven. San Antonio was completely lifeless offensively. At least they built a little bit of momentum by tying this game, sending it to overtime, although they couldn't finish it. Um, this Orlando pass defense is a little susceptible. I think I don't have any faith in the Brahmas to necessarily repeat what they did in week two and the footage we just showed you and drop 30. In fact, only, I think, 23 or 24 of those were offensive points because they blocked the punt and returned it for a touchdown back then. So I'd like to lean the under, but the game scares me a little bit because Orlando's 6-2 and two to the over. And the XFL has this thing dating all the way back to 2020 where when you get two teams at the bottom of the standings together, you have this random explosive game. We saw it with Vegas and Orlando. Wasn't that 0-4 or 0-5 teams going against each other? And there was 67 total points, which is damn near close to our highest total of the season. It, it rivaled Seattle, D.C. last week. Back in 2020, we saw it with the L.A. Wildcats and Tampa Bay Vipers. They played like a 41-34 game. They were the worst two teams in the league in the standings. So that's what scares me a little bit. Do we get that random offensive shootout? I, that's why I won't make the under my best bet. Although San Antonio is 1-7 and seven to the over. Yikes. They did cover. Last week, so get another win in the against the number there. Let's look at the Orlando offense. Uh, a few things to keep an eye on injury-wise. The San Antonio secondary had Ryan Lewis and Jack Corner both to the IR. They're both starters. Now, on Orlando, XFL receiving leader Cody Latimer has not practiced this week with a knee injury. So we await his status. Kind of checkmate there. You get Latimer, who's been Dormady's security blanket all season, actually even dating back to Paxton Lynch. Guys, 560 receiving yards this year, tops in the league. If you lose him and his, you know, every week seems to be eight catches for 60, seven catches for 50, he'll have a big game, 11 catches for 120, something like that. That's tough to replace a guy like that. Um, Jordan Thomas is a guy I kind of look to to step up in that hybrid wide receiver tight end role that Orlando rolls with in this in this spread offense. But they have to take care of the football. San Antonio, very opportunistic with the turnovers. We saw it against Houston, two late game situations. Remember back in, was it week four? Seattle and San Antonio, 15 to six game. Dragons up nine down the stretch. Danucci throws a pick, made it a game. Luckily their defense held. Same exact situation. Mirror image. Houston last week, up 15-6. to six. Same offense, June Jones, A.J. Smith. You think they would have learned from each other. Houston up 15-6. Three minutes left in the game. Interception. This time, San Antonio capitalized and scored and, and took it to overtime. So 
you you can't you cannot force balls against this secondary, even with those two guys out. They still have some studs back there. Barco's a a phenomenal player. Um, Cam Kelly, another one. Dormady, I thought, took a step back in week eight, cooled off a little bit, but still threw the ball 43 times. And again, they didn't do a good job protecting him. So not all that's on him. He had 303 yards passing. Delonte Scott will tee off on that offensive line if they don't figure it out up front. And they have some other dogs in there. Jordan Williams, another guy you got to keep an eye on for the San Antonio defense. Um, this is this is tough. I went back and forth on this one. In fact, I changed it pretty much right before the show. I'm going Orlando. Uh, Cody Latimer potentially being out scares me away. And this is one of the few times all season where I'm actually going against my own power pull. And I have San Antonio at seven, Orlando at eight. I think Orlando splits the series here. Remember, they were beaten pretty badly back in week two, and they weren't happy about that. They've cleaned up some of the special teams issues that they've had. Borregales has been a serviceable kicker. Um, punt game could use a little help, but you see their, their punt coverage making some big plays with Dedrick Thomas last week. So this Orlando offensive line, it really scares me. I think you get you know, a, a game here into the mid-30s. Uh, if you like the under, go for it. But again, watch for that explosive game randomly. Zook, we were more confident in Orlando going into, I guess, week eight than we were coming out of it. They took a pretty big drop off. In fact, they put them at six, dropped them to eight. Kind of a big difference when you look at the, the up and down of the season. But are they back to old Lando? Is this a team you want to fade now going forward? You know, I went back and forth as well. I couldn't pick this game. I ended up just picking it because San Antonio is favored. Yeah. I'm just going to agree with Vegas. Vegas. right? Yeah. Uh, I think I'd rather gamble on croquet in the backyard. <laughs> I mean, let's play a thousand pickup sticks and bet on that. I mean, I'd rather it, this is I, I, listen, we're going to watch every game, right? This is what we do. We love the XFL and there could be some interesting storylines here. Like if Paxson Lynch gets to play against Dormady, that's interesting. Sure. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say I'm not going to. How do you it. bet on it? Right. I don't want to bet on it. Uh, you're going to hear me like almost every game this week. Like I want no parts of it. Yeah. You want to think the no brainer here is to take the under considering San Antonio one and seven to the over, and they kind of ugly the game up. I've said all year, San Antonio Brahmas are the Iowa Hawkeyes of the XFL. They play this brand of football where they muck it up. They ugly it up. They play great defense. They keep these games low scoring, and they give themselves a chance at the end. In some games, it came back to bite them. St. Louis week one, that kind of changed the whole course of their season. If they're able to fend off that comeback, get a win over A.J. McCarron and the Battle Hawks, we might be talking about a playoff team here. That sunk them pretty badly week one. And it just proves in this league with the high flying passing offenses, you cannot muck it up and expect to score 16 points like they did against Arlington with no offensive touchdowns and win a game. I think Orlando is capable of getting into the 20s here. Now that I see Mike's pick, I should have went the other way. Well, he kind of loves the Brahmas, especially when I told him that Paxton Lynch may be starting. Right. That's his guy, right? (laughs) Oh, man. San Antonio, Orlando. That game's on ESPN2. Finally. (laughs) <laughs> they take the Brahmas off ABC for us. That was getting to be a little old. Well, if you're with us live, like we said, make sure you drop a like on the video. We are getting late into the XFL season here, heading into week nine. Subscribe to the channel. I'm begging you. It's free. Please get us on track here for our goals, for our subscribers, and we will pay you back with a PS5. If you entered, you have to subscribe to the channel. 
I'm going to be checking for whoever wins the entry. Were they subscribed? Nope. If it's not, right to the next entry. So make sure if you're playing that you're subscribed to the channel as well. I said a little earlier in the tease, we got a chance to sit down with Quentin Dormady. What an interesting story that he has both on and off the field from his journey. He went through Tennessee, Houston, Central Michigan, three different colleges in his career. He played a little bit of high school ball in Texas. He grew up in Iowa. He's the father of three children, and he just faced a ton of adversity this year, right when it looked like things were going his way and he was going to become the Guardian starting quarterback. Enjoy. Quentin Dormady will be right back on Spring Ball Boulevard. From high school ball in Texas to Knoxville, H-Town, and Kalamazoo, where he finished his career as a Central Michigan Chippewa and Mac West champion, Quentin Dormady, welcome to Spring Ball Boulevard, now with the Orlando Guardians and the hottest quarterback in the XFL currently. Thanks for joining us today, Quentin. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. So before we jump headfirst into football, I did want to touch a little bit on your background. Um more importantly than the quarterback of the Orlando guardians, you're the father of two beautiful twin baby girls. And I'm not sure if a lot of people know the background story here. We're the same age. And I think you've been through a hell of a lot more adversity in your life in football and your life than I have. That's for sure. Um, If you're comfortable, tell us a little bit about the trying experience that came with the birth of your twins and how that, maybe changed your life forever yeah so um i actually have three i have a two and a half year old as well um wow. little, uh, little girl so <laughs> she's uh uh enjoyed watching dad dad play and come to games um and she actually understands and then um obviously the twins um they're there i have a boy and a girl so i got my boy um out of the deal so hopefully hopefully he plays <laughs> but we'll see um oh wow so uh no, but like you said, I mean, it was uh, a tough experience. Um, as parents, it's something that uh, you don't want to have to go through. Um, so just to give the background for, for everyone listening, I, I have uh, boy-girl twins that were born at uh, 24 weeks. Um, my wife went into labor um, pretty much in the middle of the night, and uh, we got up to one of the best hospitals uh in Nashville, in in the country, really, but um, at Vanderbilt, and uh, they were born at, at 24 weeks. They they had about a 50% chance to live, um, and had an emergency C-section. They were born at a pound and a half, um, and spent four months in the NICU. Um, and you know there was a lot of ups and downs there, but uh, overall, um, definitely from from stories and from even from um, like my wife's friends who have gone through similar things, um, for them to both one be alive and two to, to, uh, you know, be healthy, um, is, is definitely a miracle. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely tough experience, um, in the life aspect. And then, um, like you said, football hasn't been any easier. Um, so, uh, happy to, happy that you know everything turned out good and everyone's healthy and and good and um you know 
but part of life and um god god has us and has our back and um you know we're definitely happy about that so yeah, I think it's definitely part of parenthood that sometimes you can take things for granted just looking forward to finally being able to meet your child and you just never know, you really, really never know what it's going to throw at you and the amount of adversity that both you and your wife faced. Uh, that's just an incredible story. And I wanted to make sure that people know that first, that you're a, a great father before just a football player, Appreciate but that. this is a football show. Yep. So we'll get into it a little bit. How do you think that whole experience then impacted your career that's a good question um i think uh you know kind of reflecting back um i don't think there's much more in life that's going to be tougher than than that situation um puts life into perspective obviously that that anything can be taken from you in, in an instant um don't like to think about the what ifs or what could have happened but it could have been a hell of a lot worse um and and like I said, we're, we're thankful that, you know, it turned out the way it did. And, um, you know, I think that kind of, you know, like I said, put life into perspective, football isn't the only thing, um, you know, my family means everything to me and, uh, you know, for, for, you know, I posted on, on my, uh, Instagram story, a couple, uh, I guess it was after this game, my, my whole family was down there. So, um, took it, got to take a picture on the field with, with, with the whole family. And, um, I posted that they're my why that that's why I play. Um, you know, that's, they're, they're the reason that I'm still doing this, um, you know, through the ups and downs of even this season. Um, so, uh, definitely grateful for them to, to, you know, be part of my support system. Um, and, and grateful that they're on my side and, uh, you know, that's, that's why I'm still playing. That's why I'm, I'm, I think I'm playing well um, is because because I do have a good support system and not not only uh, for my family, obviously, but but my teammates, um, they've been been there for me uh, through the ups and downs of, of the season. And um, that's that's what make great, great teams. So uh, obviously turning the trying to turn the season around here at the end and uh, get some wins. So. And I think it's a true illustration of your character. Obviously, we live in a social media age. You talk about being on Instagram and stuff where I think the situation you went through this year probably would have broke a lot of guys, especially guys who may have not had like a, a negative experience in their life like you had already witnessed. So it goes to show you just keep doing the same things every day. You don't get too far away from who you truly are. And uh, I don't think a lot of people probably expected you to stay with Orlando, with seven other teams in the league, we see a lot of quarterbacks moving around Paxton now in San Antonio. So for you to really stick with Orlando and the coaching staff to trust you to start the second half of the season is really cool. Going back a little bit before Orlando, you have three different schools. What was it like to be a starting quarterback in the sec back in 2017 and kind of deal with the tail end of the Butch Jones era? Obviously that staff recruited you. And then having to make a decision when there's a complete new regime coming in at the end of your, what, I guess, sophomore, junior yeah, year at the end of my junior year there. Um, yeah. College was definitely a massive roller coaster. Um, you know, it was, um, there were a lot of good things that came out of Tennessee. I think, you know, obviously um, God puts his toughest soldiers through, through the toughest situations. And uh, I think, you know, he, he put me through a lot, um, but it's made me who I am today. And, um, 
you know, as well as the life stuff that I've been through. Um, so I'm, I'm don't wish to change anything, but it was, uh, college was, was tough. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, got caught the tail end of, of the, uh, the disaster, I guess you could say really that, that Tennessee kind of went through, um, there for a few years and, uh, ultimately decided to move on and, and went to Houston and, um, ended up, uh, kind of, I had, I had had shoulder surgery there at the end of, uh, my junior year, um, after they decided to go a different way, uh, at quarterback. So I got, got shoulder surgery, um, that I was playing injured with and, um, ultimately went down to Houston and had a red shirt. My shoulder just wasn't quite ready. Um, but got to meet some cool people. I see the, the DR picture there in, in the, in the picture. Yeah, I had to throw um, that up. Yeah. <laughs> D King's my guy, man. He's a awesome dude. Um, and, uh, so that's, I think he was showing off a little bit. I think when he came in, he's like, let me show quick. He's getting too many reps. Bro, let me show off and throw all this insane touchdown pass. Kidding, probably the I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I obviously talked to him after the game. It's like, dude, that was freaking yeah. wicked. I mean, that, that was an absolutely <laughs> unreal throw. And then, I get back here and turn on the TV and it was number four on sports center. Then it went to number three and it was that play. And I'm like, Jesus, it's going to, but no, I, I texted him right now. I was like, dude, that number three on sports center. Nice job. It was, that was a wicked play. I mean, yeah, that's a once in a lifetime type play, man. But uh, no, so I met some good people there. And um, ultimately from there, that staff got fired. Um, so second staff that kind of got fired um, and then went to central Michigan and, uh, you know, had a great staff, the SEC caliber staff up there. Um, and at that point, that being my fifth year in college, I'm an older guy. I'm, I'm married um, at that point. And um, I just wanted to play ball and uh, didn't care about facilities. We were, I mean, we were in trailers because uh, they were building the new, the new facility that's there now. And, um, but I mean, it was a awesome experience. Really loved playing ball up there. And, uh, uh, put everything you know into perspective it's not about the the diamonds and the glitz and the glam and all that stuff it's it's ultimately about playing ball and that's you know that's what i've i've said about this league and most of my interviews is we're all here to play ball and have fun right i mean that's football is a game um it's it's an awesome game that we can you know play and get paid to play um so it's it's an awesome experience but uh yeah i, I I, I wouldn't trade anything as far as college experience goes. Um, there's a reason that, that we go through stuff and, um, you know, maybe that's why, why I'm here now. If I, you know, didn't go to three different schools, who knows? Um, but it all worked out. Yeah. And I love watching the Mac. I think coach McElwain is a big reason why always fun. And you had Charlie Fry's your OC, yep. which is really cool. A guy with a lot of NFL experience. So, uh, moving on to the Orlando Guardians here. I was there in Camping World Stadium week four against Houston where it seemed like the season hit a turning point where it was either like get blown out in the rest of the season, give up, just write it off completely or turn things around, go out to Vegas, play in one of the games of the year and come out of that moment knowing, hey, we're really good offensively. We just need to, to have a more complete effort. I think a lot of the reasons you guys were losing games were special teams related as well. Um, so do you share that? Like did week four for you guys kind of seem like 
It was the low point of the season. And then how has the morale changed in these past three weeks in the locker room and just the overall culture and practice and, and in the team uh, meetings right now? Yeah. I mean, um, week four, um, that was my last week that I wasn't with the team. Um, so can't really speak, speak to that part of it, but uh, you know, whenever I did get back here, um, I guess it was right after that game. Cause week five was Vegas, I think. Right. Um, so, yeah. um, you know, when I got back, we had some hard conversations, um, as a team and, um, you know, kind of iron everything out from the, the mess that had happened there. And, um, but I mean, I thought, um, from then on, I mean, everyone's, you know, been supportive of me and we kind of just put it all behind us and, and went out and played ball. Um, and then, like you said, Vegas was, was an awesome game. Um, but like you said, just ha- didn't really play a complete game as far as offense, defense, special teams goes, and just kind of ran out of time there at the end. Um, but, you know, since, since I've been back, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. I mean, um, been in really close games and um, just haven't put it all together. And then, you know, last week to, to put it together against the best team in the league, um, was was something special um and i think you know we've we've been you know had had high spirits um you know for the last last three weeks it's just about let's go out and put it together let's continue to have fun like i said football's a game we're getting paid to do it um and and that's something that not many people can say um so just just trying to build off of it go out and continue to have fun um playing the game that we all love and and see what happens there at the end of the season. Can ask you one more before we let you go here, Quentin. I always thought, even coming into the season, that they did a really good job putting this roster together offensively from a skill position player standpoint. So obviously, Cody Latimer, I think he's the most NFL ready guy in the league. I mean, every single week he's there. You got Eli, Charleston, um, the list goes on and on. The two running backs have been phenomenal. Now you add KD Cannon in there, who makes a great catch. Yeah. Jordan Thomas everybody coming together and playing together, but you know that the narrative is going to be you're the savior because the the season turned around when you came in. How do you make sure that the other guys who went through all that hell that you kind of missed out on are also like part of the picture too, because everyone's going to put it on your shoulders. They're going to be like, if Quentin Dormady's playing, we'll win. If not, we'll lose. How is that? kind of a mix because it's been everybody not just you that's been in this turnaround yeah i mean i'm glad that you said that um because i can say it as much as i want in in any interview i mean i've continued to say um that if the o-line doesn't block if the running backs don't you know put their head in there for a hard the hard-earned yards if the receivers you know don't run the right routes and catch the ball and make spectacular plays then i mean i'm well, I'm just a guy out there, right? Um, so, I mean, it, this is 100% a team effort, and that goes for for everyone on the team, defense included. I mean, they've they've completely turned it around and, and are are playing as as hard as they can. I mean, um, there's there ain't no quitting this team, um, and it, there never will be. Um, you know, like you said, the coaches have have put together a really good team, um, so that's that's a credit to them and. Um, you know, Shane's calling really good games offensively and I'm just out there dishing it out to the, to the real playmakers. So, um, you know, that's, that's part of the quarterback position is you get all the, the fame and 
you get all the crap that comes with it when you're losing. Um, but um, I'll continue to to uh, you know talk about my guys because they're they're special players and they all they all contribute. Um, and even you know it's it's a tough situation here. Like you said, we're we're stacked as far as skill position goes. Um, I mean, we're we can't even dress guys that would be playing on probably just about any other team in the league. Um, so, so that's, that's tough. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome from my perspective because I got a ton of weapons and we can roll guys in and out and, um, everyone's making plays. So, um, yeah, really, really, really appreciative of those guys. Um, you know, blocking up front, running hard and, you know, the receivers making plays and, and doing what, what they're doing. Um, makes my job really easy and, and makes it a lot of fun um, to go out there and complete a lot of balls. So, Well, Quentin, we want to thank you for taking time to be with Spring Ball Boulevard today. There were moments in that Player 54 documentary where kind of at the end of the show, you see T-Buck and he's in the corner of the locker room and you just feel the pain. I hope Player 54 goes back and shows the complete turnaround that has been this second half of the season. Because as you know, it's not always wins and losses. You have to just improve every week. And regardless of what the scoreboard says, you know, since week five, you guys have gotten better every week. Now you have a a late playoff push here the rest of the season. We wish you the best of luck the rest of the season. You handed my DC defenders the first loss. That was really tough for me. I bet. <laughs> uh, I, I, you ruined my perfect season, and uh, now I have no choice but to root for you the rest of the way. Thank go. you for sharing your story with us. Yeah. And uh, hopefully get in touch with you soon here. Thanks, Quentin. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you, Quentin Dormady. Wish you the best the rest of your football career. A well-traveled quarterback, been in a ton of different situations. And like I said in the interview, Quentin and I are the same age. And he's been through a hell of a lot more adversity than I have in my life. So I appreciate that, him taking the time to join us. Very professional, very humble guy. Could have packed it in, left, played in a different league, and made a big stink about the situation. It was a really tough one for him this year with the XFL. But put his head down, kept grinding and eventually got this team a win over the D.C. Defenders. What you guys didn't catch was off-camera before we started the interview. Quentin said to me, bold move to wear that D.C. hat. I said, hey, we've been winning all year. If I took it off when we lost, I'd get buried more by you people than when I would if I just left it on. So I had to wear that around Quentin. I'm sure he was happy about it because he had the leg up on me (laughs) in the interview there, but Always great to talk to him. Hope to catch up with him. And uh, more interviews coming on Spring Ball Series, guys. We're trying to get you all the talent that we can before the season ends. And we got a couple special ones coming up, so stay tuned for that. Well, we got some Sunday games to break down. Noon kickoff, D.C., Arlington. If you told me at the beginning of the season that D.C. was going to be an eight-and-a-half-point favorite in Week 9, against Bob Stoops, I would have told you that's insane. You're underrating Arlington. I had them second in my power poll to start the year. I thought on paper this team was excellent, and they were my pick to win the XFL South. Could still happen. Surprisingly enough, this could still be an XFL championship game preview. Don't count out the Renegades quite yet. Um, 7-1 and one against the spread for the defenders. My record, like we mentioned on 
Thursday, nine and seven against the number. So over three quarters of my wins on the season and my bankroll entirely is on DC. So I'll continue to ride, but this one I was a little hesitant on. Reason being, we aren't quite sure about Jordan Tamu's shoulder. So keep an eye on that, right? He was clearly in pain against Seattle. He had to come out for a few series and ultimately gutted out another four-touchdown performance. But I have a feeling that this is the week for Jordan to rest a little bit, right? I'll tell you why. The shoulder is very sore. A.J. McCarron kind of dealing with the same thing. Anthony Beck taking a gamble and says, we really need to beat Seattle to make the playoffs. So let's give Nick Tiano a shot and see if we can do just barely enough to beat Vegas. Well, I'm wondering if Reggie Barlow will use that same mindset as Anthony Beck did and take the gamble, maybe start De'Eric King instead of Jordan Tamo, give that shoulder some rest. Uh, there's still a home playoff game to be clinched for D.C., but since you swept both St. Louis and Seattle, you only have to win one more game. So you have Arlington Week 9, San Antonio Week 10. You win one of those, you lock up a home playoff game. So maybe this is the Eric Dungy spot, right? You haven't had him get a shot at all this year. And uh, if that De'Eric King package has trouble, which it did a little bit last week with the fumble, maybe you go to Dungy for a bit if, if Jordan's not able to roll. Um, very good Arlington defense. They give up less than 75 yards on the ground, so kind of a counter to that D.C. rushing attack. Um, it's a guy, though, and Eric Dungy, also a dual threat. He, he lit it up in the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. Funny enough, if you saw my Twitter today, I was thinking back to old college matchups. I like to go into these games and think about who is, is meeting again in XFL 2023 that played an instant classic during their college days. Well, Eric Dungy in 2017 quarterbacking Syracuse to a miracle upset of number two Clemson back then. Guess who was the Tigers quarterback? Kelly Bryant left the game before halftime with a concussion and his Tigers ultimately went on to lose that game. Now they're not expected to start, but Kelly Bryant is on the renegades and Eric Dungy is on the defenders. So a couple things go their way. They may see themselves thrown into action. It could be destiny. Uh, but like we said, the DC run game, definitely about to face the toughest challenge of the season. Um, Abram Smith, Rykel Armstead, they've been a great one-two tandem all year, but definitely going to have their work cut out for them. Running up against guys in that front seven, Josiah Coatney, TJ Barnes, the big fella, Will Clark. Now some devastating news for the Arlington Renegades. Bob Stoops telling us in the press conference that Donald Payne, their leading tackler, has been shut down for the season uh, high ankle sprain so that's tough the secondary has been solid though they picked Quentin Dormady off a few times last week they actually lead the league with 19 takeaways and it's like a little half and half honestly it's not all picks it's, it's a half picks half fumbles type deal so don't expect DC to go off for 40 points here I think there's going to be a lot of hard thought yards that need to be gained Flipping to the other side of the ball, Luis Perez, now of the Renegades. Listen, the defenders have been a thorn in his side all season. And if you're Luis Perez, this is the third time you're starting against Greg Williams, who loves to just come after the quarterback. And the first time, he got benched in a loss back in week two, that disgusting rain game out in Cashman Field. Um, second time, he played a little bit better, but I'm sure Perez still has bad memories of that goal line play where 
right before the half, he's ruled in. Blandino comes down, reverses it. Rod Woodson loses his mind. Like, that's a tough play for a quarterback's confidence to take away a touchdown from him. Luis Perez, uh, <laughs> I can't imagine he has any trouble finding motivation for this one. DC has been tough for him. But look at Arlington, one of the worst teams in the league against the number, two and six. They're also two and six to the over. And found a weird stat. In away games, they're two and two against the spread, which tells me they're 0 and 4 in the hub. What? This is exactly the opposite of what I thought would happen at the beginning of the season. It was a big reason why I picked Arlington so high in my projections. You're playing at home. You got the facilities right there. That's a built-in advantage in this league where every other team is traveling every week unless they're playing you. So the four times the other teams in the hub got to stay home and play at Arlington, they're 0-4 against the number. So it's not been pretty for the Renegades or the Renafades, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, you should be pretty confident in D.C. this week. Just take a look at Jordan Tamu's status and follow me on Twitter. I'll have it for you. What else do we know about Arlington? Uh, Davion Smith has been running pretty hard. They have to be better inside the red zone, settling for too many field goals, especially for a D.C. team who is 4-0 against the spread at home. Pretty incredible number there. Um, Taylor Russellino is a good kicker, so you can rely on him for three points, but three points ain't going to beat the best team in the league. Letty Brown, I thought, has been a great addition to a backfield who simply went through so many guys. Smith is like the last one standing. Went through Adrian Killens, went through Keith Ford, Kenneth Farrow on the IR. It's just a rotating stable of backs, and now they got pretty solid with Brown and Smith here. Finally finding a balance. They have some flashy receivers, but none that really blow you away. The way those burners on DC between Chris Blair and Lucky Jackson have just blown away everybody who did not expect them to burst onto the scene the way they did. Of course, my DC defenders are going to be the pick here, Zook. I know I said I was a little hesitant to potentially... Well, you know, you don't even have to put those on one at a time. I think it was pretty obvious what we're going here. I'm more concerned about the, the spread and your thoughts on the spread, Zook, than I am the straight-up pick. I've been riding DC all year. I, I was only a little hesitant because Jordan is on such a roll. And if you don't have Jordan, what are you going to rely on? You're going to rely on the run game. Well, the Arlington Renegades, the best run defense in the league, allowing less than 75 a game, like we mentioned. So is this the Eric Dungy spot? Who He can throw it around, too. I'm not knocking King's arm. He's thrown a couple touchdowns this year. I think he's capable, but it's tough when you haven't started all year to go in and do it. If Jordan plays, I'd be confident uh, of laying the eight and a half with DC. They've been a total wagon this year. Zook, any thoughts on this cover potentially? Do you is this a spot you look to back DC just blindly, knowing that they've covered all season? No, I think it depends on the starter. Um, King has proven from last week being in that he's going to turn the ball over sometimes. Jordan has taken care of the ball a lot better. Right. Uh, it comes down to a turnover battle. So uh, this is another game I want to stay away until you know if you're going to bet. It's going to be last minute just to right. find out. That's a good point as well. We don't, I mean, some of these numbers have moved. Like I was shocked last week. I got Houston at four. It moved to six and a half. Like that was one that would have been detrimental. I lost anyway, but I would have been so mad at myself if I waited for six and a half. The lines are pretty sturdy this week. They haven't gone anywhere. I expect people are awaiting AJ McCarron news in this next game. But as far as the D.C. game goes, you can wait this out. We haven't had too many practice reports this week so far. See what's up with Jordan Tamu. 
I'd be comfortable laying the points if he's going to go. Even if he's not 100%, he could play through paint. He's a tough guy. Mikey Manziel also going with DC, who won him some money last week, surprisingly enough. And that was a lot of talk just to get to the best game of the week, right? We do cover every game here on Spring Ball Boulevard because we know we got fans of every team watching, but this is the real deal. I could have spent the entire show on this game. Seattle, St. Louis, the sequel. Part two. Who gets the silver medal in the XFL North? And a third crack at the D.C. Defenders. Well, just seven short weeks ago, these teams squared off under the lights in Seattle. Donnie Hagman sending a 44-yard dagger through the hearts of Seattle fans. And now with both teams being swept by D.C., this is a real chance for the Battle Hawks to clinch a home playoff berth and for Seattle to stay alive and hope they can get some help with the tiebreakers in Week 10. Much like we told you, the D.C.-Seattle game was going to be entirely different from Week 1 as it was in Week 8 the last time out. This is also going to be a very different ball game from the 20 to 18 game we saw in week two. Both offenses have really found their groove. Even with the game off, AJ McCarron, the runner up to Ben DiNucci in passing, which is impressive to me, took a whole game off and he's still second in the league in passing yards. Um, DiNucci trails McCarron with two less passing touchdowns. But here's the difference. In the interception column, it's not close. Double-digit picks, now 10 for Ben DiNucci, 4 for A.J. McCarron. That is the difference between 6-2 and two and 5-3. and three. We shall see. So many things to love about this matchup, guys, even outside of the playoff picture that we just broke down to you. Did you know you are getting the number one passing offense in the Seattle Sea Dragons and June Jones against the number one pass defense with Donnie Abraham and his brother Devin in St. Louis? Incredible matchup here. A treat to see. Anthony Beck explaining to us in the presser, he had a lot of guys that were banged up in the secondary. And I was impressed with what they did against Vegas. Uh, Tim Harris was inactive. They had a couple of safeties that came out during the game. McClendon was only 13 to 23 for 159. Had a touchdown pass against them, but they didn't pick him off. And, and of course, they didn't really play well against the run. The run defense has not been the strength for St. Louis this season. And I'm not sure how that applies to Seattle, who, who doesn't run the ball a lot, but it's weird, right, to see a successful team for as good as St. Louis has been against teams outside of the defenders, how lousy their run defense has been. And I'm, maybe that's overinflated a little bit, and I thought that was the case because D.C. runs the ball so much more than any other team. But Vegas racked up 208 on the ground. So if you're June Jones, maybe you implement some run scheme here. Um, I don't know. This is such a tough one. I don't think you're going to be able to stop the Seattle run and shoot in a way where you're going to be able to hold them to 18 points. 18 points the last game. They had two offensive touchdowns. Danucci had under 200 yards passing. It's going to be tough to do. You saw what they just did against the D.C. defense. Obviously, a lot of what I'm saying trending towards the over, right? Well, St. Louis is 3-5 and five to the over. Don't get too caught up in that. I think more what you want to look at if you're betting this game is the pace of play. Zook and I were talking a little bit before the show about the San Antonio Brahmas, and we mentioned it, how they muck it up, they make it ugly, they, they keep it a low-scoring game, give themselves a chance at the end. It's the opposite with Seattle. They're going to go up and down, big explosive plays, they're going to make you outscore them, right? And that is where this game is trending. I don't think St. Louis is going to be in their comfort zone very much. Uh, with a team in Seattle that is six and two against the over. So I, I could see a 
a 34-28, 34-31 style ball game here. I think the most important thing in this 60 minutes of football and potentially overtime, it would be back-to-back weeks if they did that in the Dome, is who gets the ball last? Because we see both these quarterbacks able to put together late-game drives. Ben Danucci just did it to scare D.C. The defense couldn't hold when Chris Blair had that 70-yard touchdown, but Danucci was balling out 18 points in the fourth quarter, which is as many as they scored against St. Louis in the, in the first game. And A.J. McCarron has been excellent in the two-minute drill down the stretch. They've won more games in the fourth quarter coming back than anybody. So, going to be really tough here. A little bit of a chess match. Um, these quarterbacks definitely want to outplay each other and ultimately win MVP. They're the top two candidates right now. Think about all the playmakers in this game outside of McCarron and Danucci. Josh Gordon, Jacor Pearson, Akeem Butler, Darius Shepard. It, it goes on and on. You got Philip Lindsay against Brian Hill. Those are two guys who were NFL starting running backs at one point in their careers back in 2017 and 18. So two teams trying to find their identity back in week two. They now have clearly found it for Seattle. Big explosive plays. Let Danucci fly downfield. And for St. Louis, it's A.J. McCarron working with Bruce Gradkowski. And, and their pre-snap procedure is just so fascinating to watch. I hope Greg McElroy is calling this game. Drop a comment in the chat if you know who's on the call. I hope it's McElroy. Um, long methodical drives kind of get defenses off balance. And that's what St. Louis has been doing. Very well, mixing a little bit of Brian Hill in with that pass scheme. They got great receivers. Obviously, I think it's 1A and 1B um, with Seattle and St. Louis as far as the deepest receiving core. I think DC can make a case with Chris Blair and Lucky Jackson as far as the top two. But from top to bottom, man, Seattle can go to anybody, and they have all season. St. Louis has showed that as well. When Austin Prohl is like your wide receiver four or five, you're damn good in that, in that room for Ricky Prohl, his dad. Guys, we're in for a dandy. This is the old school. Jim Hazlitt, June Jones, Ron Zook, over 100 years of coaching experience combined against the new school. Anthony Becht, first-time head coach. Bruce Gradkowski, young offensive coordinator. was not that long ago that he was in the NFL himself. And Donnie Abraham, who grinded his way through the high school ranks and all the way up to the XFL. Never even wanted to be a coach originally. He just wanted to play. He becomes a coach. He's had a hell of a job with that defense. But to break your heart, Zook, I'm going with the St. Louis Battlehawks. In a game this close, I look for one thing. Two things. One more important than the other. Who has the ball last? And who's at home? Dome field advantage for St. Louis here. It is tough to hear. I witnessed it in person. It is tough to hear. And I know June Jones simplifies his playbook, but Ben DiNucci struggled in D.C. when they had that raucous atmosphere week one. Add 20,000 more crazy people on top of that crowd. What are you going to get? Seattle win. Seattle wins. No well, question. Well, make your case. What, what, what is it about the Sea Dragons that you are so confident? Because we were talking before the show. You're throwing some crazy ideas out at me. Yeah, I think, I think they're going to blow them out. Blow out. We have a bold prediction from Chris Zook. Seattle's going to blow St. Louis out. Oh, I can't wait. All right, so here's what I think. I think <laughs> that the offense is going to spread them out, and Danucci's going to use his wheels and Philip Lindsay. They're going to run the ball early, 
they're, they're going to have to. They're going to they're going to bring a couple people into that box to try to stop it. They're going to have to spy Danucci, and then he's going to shred them in the second half. Hey, if the if the Seattle pass offense is good enough, which it may be, it is to go against a number one pass defense that has been excellent in the secondary, has battled through injuries. It hasn't mattered. It's been next man up. If they're able to do that, they should probably be the playoff team. And I know we're going to have the tiebreaker scenario, but if, if, if what happens is cl- anywhere close to what you're saying, where Danucci has a 300, 350 yard game, takes care of the ball, throws a couple of touchdowns, that to me is more impressive going on the road to St. Louis than that kind of ugly game back in week two where it really could have gone either way. I have to give St. Louis credit for that win. It was a huge win, and it gave them the confidence they needed to be 6-2 and two at this point. I feel like the first but, couple weeks are hard to judge teams. They were just getting acclimated to each other. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of moving parts, and it, it really took Seattle quite some time to get going. Right. Um, yeah, they had the five-game win So, streak. unfortunately, they did score off with D.C. and St. Louis in the first two weeks. Um, but they've put a great product on the field since, and I do. I just I feel like that the tie-breaking rules are going to change things, and I, I really hope that uh, June does run the ball to open up that yeah. throwing lane. Because they do. They have, they have five wide receivers that can gash yeah. you. Yeah, and St. Louis has not been good against the run. And I was never more shocked than Vegas running for 200 yards. It's a team that struggled to get 20 or 30, and they were running the ball at will. Jalen McClendon had a truck lane every time he took off to run the ball. And like you said, Ben DiNucci doesn't get enough credit for as mobile as he is. He'll find those lanes, right. and he'll, he'll run for 20 yards, and he's learning more how to slide. He might look back so, at you and say, you ain't catching you me. You ain't catching me. Yeah, I, I was shocked that this line was won simply because the home advantage for St. Louis, usually you think that'd be worth a couple points. Mikey Manziel certainly thinks it is. He's going with his favorite guy, A.J. McCarron. He just learned to fade me over the past. He, 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 went for, he jumped ship. He faded you, and now he fades me. Probably be a better idea to fade me because I have no idea what my best bet's going to be. But just finishing up the point here on St. Louis, Seattle, before we get out of this one, I really thought this would be two, two and a half because I figured the home field advantage that St. Louis has had, it's been incredible. It didn't work out against DC. Obviously, they play one of their worst games of the season. Maybe odds makers look at that. I don't know. There's just some momentum with this crowd. They, they're bought in. They got, they got that faith on their side now it's hard to put in words what exactly happened in st louis against vegas but you just felt kind of some magic in the air that the team got over the two dc losses and now fans have forgot about that and they're ready to get another shot against dc in the xfl north title where they got to win this game first it's not going to be easy to go through seattle what would be a shame zook is what i'll say if seattle wins this game and it's like a 35 to 31 game they put up a lot of points if it goes to the tiebreaker and they still don't end up making the playoffs, that's going to be disappointing. We see in the college football playoffs, a committee selects the best four teams. So you have eye test, right? That goes into that. You do not have eye test here. This is going to come down to a tiebreaker similar to the NFL. And we've seen in the NFL, sometimes the, best, the better team gets left out of the playoffs. Well, I think that's part of why they're, I'm predicting they're blowing them out because yeah. they got to. 
they have to get they have to gain those points back because yeah. who knows how many St. Louis will score against right. what the Guardians last week. They have week? Guardians week two. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, and the one thing I'd say about that is I think it, with veteran coaches you got to keep your guys even. Don't don't go out there and say we got to run it up on offense. Got to play good defense as well. Like this is AJ McCarron. And, you know, people have been in my DMs. What's the status of AJ? I'll just update and tell you this. After the game, Anthony Beck told us the reason he did this was so AJ would be ready for this game. So there's no doubt in my mind that this was a two-week decision. They said, we think we have enough to get past Vegas with Nick Tiano. So why risk AJ re-injuring a shoulder and then having Nick Tiano in week nine? Beck played this the right way. And AJ is going to play unless something crazy happens and, you know, he re-injures himself before this game. But I'm fully confident AJ will play. And clearly the number is as well. Because if AJ wasn't playing and anybody in Vegas had insight that he wasn't, it'd be Seattle minus four or four and a half or something like that. So I think AJ's going to play and we're going to get a damn good game. I cannot wait for this one. But we were in St. Louis last week, so we can't go back two weeks in a row. Where haven't we been this season? H-Town. Boulevard, Bull Tour, stop number six. Heading back to Texas. I was there in February. 37 degrees and windy. Uh, looking at the forecast now, looks like about a 50 degree improvement. Whew, can't wait for that humidity. So tell me your recommendations in H-Town, guys. Where do I eat? Where do I get a beer? You know, great culinary scene from what I've heard. Is the rodeo in town? I've heard about the Houston rodeo potentially impacting some of the Roughnecks attendance. I don't know when that is. If it is, I'll go watch it. Uh, I've heard you guys in H-Town have underground pathways as an alternative to your sidewalks. I'm not familiar with that on the East Coast, I'll be quite honest. That's, that sounds like a Texas thing to me, that the city is so big and so spread out that it's hard to get around. So tell me how to get around in Houston. What do I do? Uh, it's our sixth stop on the tour, like I said. And I'm hoping A.J. Smith doesn't hit us with the GTFO as he has so many <laughs> defenses this season. So coming to Houston, like I said, 11.30 kickoff, probably earliest local kick we've had of the year as the Roughnecks take on Vegas, if they win this one. Don't tell me this game doesn't matter. It's a big game. If they win this one, they clinch the home field advantage, and this won't be their final game inside TDECU Stadium. Looking forward to that back to Texas, and hopefully back one more time for the championship game in San Antonio. Let's move right in to our Boulevard Best Bets. What do we think about the tour game? Well, I was back and forth a little bit on Houston-Vegas. I ultimately punted on that game i could not find an angle for the side or the total so i moved along the card and let me tell you this i i really couldn't find a second best bet that i loved so i'm just going to go with what i know and that's dc minus eight and a half is this the best spot for the defenders all season no when they were 10 point favorites against orlando they lost outright this team is better as an underdog or a short favorite Keep an eye on the quarterback situation. If Jordan plays, I think you'll be okay. They'll do enough. Arlington is going to have trouble scoring the football to keep up with DC, who is 7-1 to the over, and they've been putting up 30 points pretty much every week. So going DC minus 8.5. The lock is the over in the Seattle-St. Louis game. And I know last time I, <laughs> last time I did this, it was the Houston-Seattle over. The problem is, Zook, Houston has Brandon Silvers. Sure. St. Louis has A.J. McCarron. I can trust A.J.'s going to score points. 
these quarterbacks, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this matchup because you know Ben DiNucci is sitting there thinking, AJ thinks he's better than me. And he is. So this is, the, this is the Ben DiNucci proving ground here. I know you're saying, oh, there's no chance he could win MVP. If he, if he throws a, a great game in this one, he may be able to have a chance at the end of the season. He may. I mean, statistically, sure. If you're Over 2,000 yards passing for DiNucci. I, I know, but... That's, the turnovers suck. Yeah, I like, always say the turnovers. I sound like a broken right. record, right? I think uh, you're pretty safe with this one. Like the over. Because I think Seattle's putting up 40. Here we go again. Well, actually, let me, let me give you some credit because you said that last week sure did. against DC and you were seven points away. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18 fourth quarter points certainly helped you out there. In fact, we were sitting there at halftime and, and I was thinking, man, this is over is dead. It was like, what, 22 to six at halftime or something like that? Yeah. Maybe even less. Didn't look good for overbetters, but man, they went off in the fourth quarter combined for 30 points. I think Seattle, St. Louis is just going to be up and down. It's going to be anything you can do, I can do better. These quarterbacks are going to be on their best game. And I think the defenses are just going to be lost. Because once that St. Louis crowd gets going, the Seattle pass defense has been eh this year. I mean, what was that with Chris Blair? Uh, Bryce Thompson just completely whiffed, and that lost him the game. So I don't know if it's it, if there's quite the emphasis. I love Ron Zook, but is there quite the emphasis on defense in Seattle as there is offense? You think there would be with Jim Hazlitt? I don't know if that lost them the game because you got to think like what did I say about that game? Why didn't he go down? Like why did he score? Yeah. Did they let him score on purpose? What? We don't know that. Um, all I know is they gained more time on the clock by whiffing or yeah. letting him go or whatever it was. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a short, it was a short completion. I mean, we could get into that all day about back and forth, and I've seen situations like that. But I don't know. It looked looked to me like Thompson at least tried to make the tackle. I'm just not that confident. I'm sure he did, the, but I'm talking about the coverage. There was nobody yeah. back there to help. Right. Um. They they brought it. So. Yeah, I mean, it it did end up, you know, making it a game where it ultimately wouldn't have been. But yeah, 46. I mean, think about it, guys. If you get, geez, if you get 27 to 20, are you covered? So I like this. I like this number. And I know St. Louis is three and five to the over, but it's okay. It's going to be a different pace of play. And Zook, you kind of tease your best bet. Hey, if you think they're going to blow them out, why not take them plus one? I guess so you're getting your team as an underdog. I think for one of the first times all season, I think it's the second time. Have they been an underdog anywhere else on this car? I, I honestly can't think of a game. I think there was where one they were underdogs. I, I wish I would have looked this up. So they, I don't he, think they have been. Honestly. Matt brought up a good question pre-show if i love them to win as big as i do why did i not take money line it's the same thing i keep saying i like to make money it's a best bet i'll take the point give it to me it was a two-point game last time what were the odds 105 110 it's it's, it's very small i'm not losing a bunch of value by getting the point yeah there are people who will get mad at us for saying there's no difference between minus 110 and minus 105 so we just want to tell you like it's okay. Take the one point. Now, I, I actually just realized this as I'm on the air. Seattle has not been an underdog all season. Isn't that crazy? Is, is that for sure? It definitely. Because, I feel like they were one. Or no, time. Houston. Yep. That okay. was the one, okay. and they won outright. Correct. So the one time Seattle was a dog, they went outright. And what were they a dog by? Can we remember? Three two, or four. Two and, and a half. half. I think it was two and a half. It was something like that, yeah. It was, it was, it was under a score. Somebody go out there and stat check us. Yeah. <laughs> Stats and info, but yeah, I mean, not many opportunities to back Seattle as a dog is our point. You're getting one here. Zook is going to go with it. I'm so confident <laughs> that I broke my rule. Yeah. 
Remember, you gave, gave me a little crap about betting on them last time, but I never said I wouldn't bet them live. I never said that. Plus 300 they were at halftime against D.C. I, wanna, I, I, I bet them live a few times throughout yeah. the season after I said I wasn't betting them. Yeah. But that was more of a I'm not betting on best bets. I mean, you could give me any reason here. I'm, take, I, I'm taking I, I'm just not buying it. I mean, you're going whatever. against the Bible. And I will say, correction, uh, Zook trying to skimp on his record here. He is 5-3. and three. Uh, You know, trying to get one back on me here. I see what you're doing. I didn't do anything. Five and two. He did lose his best bet last I week. I did. I am five and Don't three. Don't let him forget that. So we are. I'm not forgetting it. We talked about it that I am Seattle and I'm yeah. five and three. So there you go. We are 14 for 24 as a show. So 14 and 10. Mike, you say that was 58. 58%. Yeah. So we're, I mean, I said beginning of the year 55. We'd like to be a little higher. We'll see what happens in week nine. Um, tough card, guys. These numbers are getting really sharp. Really, really sharp. The only really value play I found is the over. Mike, I think, is onto something here, though. Is it, is it crazy to say that? Because it's two best bets hit last two weeks. What is it about Mikey Manziel? Is he learning? I think maybe, you know what? The light switch flipped when he came back to Studio Z. That's what it was. We taught him how to bet. Is it that? I think he hasn't lost the play since he moved home, if I'm correct. So we'll see. Mikey's on to something here with Vegas. I actually kind of agree with him here. I like the six and a half. And apparently so did Piper. Because she's going to include it in her parlay. We were a little bit worried, Zook, that there was a potential for our loyal Piper, who we love so dearly. Would she fade us because she was sick of us this week after we kept kind of giving her a little advice, a little treat here, you know, slip her a little lick of ice cream here and there. Whatever we gave her, she was inclined to take our picks. But now look at it. I think that hair got inside her, that clown hair. Yeah, Sunk in. she's she's not gonna fade us. Thank you, Piper. Appreciate that. In fact, for the first time all season, Piper's listening to Mikey Manziel. What kind of corruption has gotten into your dog and into your studio? Well, every time he comes over to record his segment, he gives her French fries from McDonald's. So. <laughs> Vegas plus six and a half. I don't hate it. Uh, she loves the over. Piper loves points. Again, every touchdown scored is another treat. And DC money line, again, kind of goes along with what I was saying, right? Eight and a half. Don't love it. I'll take it. Money line's minus 390. Put in a parlay. Who cares? We'll get plus 360. So that is our Boulevard best bets plus the Piper's parlay. Great show for you here on a Thursday night. Really enjoyed talking about XFL Week 9. Again, make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you don't know, the Week 9 tour destination is Houston. We're coming to TDECU Stadium. Cannot wait for the weekend down in H-Town. And guys, we're coming right down to the end of the season here. I had a, a realization that there's only 11 games left. And it's wild, Zook, because we've broken down, recapped, and previewed each one of them. And I think if you went back on 32 games we would at least have 30 of them that we personally put our own money on. So it's been a long ride here. After this week, there will only be seven games left. So please enjoy the XFL while you can. Tune into these games, whether it's on ESPN Plus or wherever you watch television. Please watch the league because they are trying to do something special and get to a million viewers with Sea Dragons, Battlehawks, and some of the other games that are on ABC this week. Well, for Mikey Manziel... 
And for Chris Zook in the control room, I am Maddie Fresh. And remember, there is no such thing as football season. We'll see you guys Tuesday for a special episode on a Tuesday night. Take it easy. Thank <laughs> you.